Right now, in the face of what seems to be an increasingly grumpy electorate with a plague on both your houses attitude, it's a pleasure to welcome the Right Reverend Professor Stephen Pickard, Executive Director of the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture, based in Canberra. Their concern is values, particularly those values which may promote a more civil, civil society. Stephen Pickard, welcome to Sunday Night. Thanks very much, John. It's good to be with you. Uh, Stephen Pickard, whatever we say about the election campaign that we've all gone through, it's for the last few weeks been seen very directly in the context of wider world events, whether the disruptions of uh, Donald Trump in the United States or Brexit in the UK. There seems to be a thread of articles, both from those who were for Brexit and those opposing Brexit that said this this is a sign of something disruptive in our culture. The gap between the rich and poor has opened up. Something hasn't been working. Now, traditionally, this is the sort of area that, stepping into the cracks, the churches have fulfilled over the years. Yet in this election campaign, certainly in Australia, it was hard to find the churches mentioned except in a negative context all the way through the election campaign, whether it be the religion of Islam or, uh, or Christians and the plebiscite. Uh, something of a paradox here? Uh, perhaps, John. I think uh, there's, there's fairly complex things behind this. Um, I mean, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, the church and the, uh, the state were... Uh, in conversation quite regularly about many things, and they would be on the on the table, so to speak, for the churches to make a contribution. Um, in the last twenty or thirty years, the uh, churches have been uh, somewhat of their own volition at times, and uh, other for other reasons of a more secularising tendencies. It's business and government that seem to occupy the centre stage, and the church's voice has been somewhat on the edges. But you know, that's not a bad thing. I I think uh, it's precisely historically from from the edge that uh, uh, the Christian churches through the centuries has made its most valuable contributions um, op- operating in terms of what are the values of our society. The people's search for meaning and hunger has not abated. Uh, the cracks that open up, the values which uh, seem to have been diminished in, in so much of our political rhetoric and, uh, and business world. So there is a place for the Christian church to um, bring that voice from the from the side, so to speak, and uh, I think we shouldn't see that as a problem, but rather as a wonderful opportunity today. Well, how do you, in this wider context, see the sort of disruption that's going on in democracies across the West? Um, I've, it's very interesting, isn't it? Um, I heard somebody give a, a paper recently on the twilight of democracy, and uh, I'm I'm giving a paper um, to. Uh, a seminar in a couple of months' time. I've called it the twilight of compassion. Uh, I think these things are actually related about democracy and compassion. And right now we, we're we in very uh, uncertain time. I mean, the language that we've heard so much about in, in the uh, last eight weeks has been we're in uncertain times. Well, they're challenging, they're exciting, they're dangerous, but I would say that they're fundamentally tr- times of great transition. You know, the the theory about the 500-year the cycle. We're in a very significant time of transition. Uh, we do not yet know what we shall be. Therefore, it generates a lot of fear, and it's uh, too easy to feed that fear. My my take on it is in times of transition, we, we need to uh, steady the boat. We need to start listening and attending to what is actually happening. And it's a time for opportunities and new creativity. So um, these... 
ought not to be times that create too much, as much anxiety as they do. Uh, they're opportunities as well as, uh, as problems. Well, let's talk about this in the context of uh, the way the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture, it's the and culture part that I think uh, interests me in this discussion, walks through these, uh, this, this period we're in. You have four pillars which underline your operations uh, out of the ACT in, in Canberra. Uh, let's just talk through two or three of those, and we've touched on one already, that is wisdom through civil society. Civil society at a time of transition, uh, cracks opening up, the gap between the rich and the poor opening up. What's the role of an organisation like yours or an institution like yours in that context today? Well, I think, John, we, we do need a fresh wisdom. There's a wonderful text from Proverbs that I've lived in for some years since I've been at the centre. About It says, uh, wisdom takes her stand at the crossroads. And so at a time when some people are after new heroes, the charismatic fixers of things, uh, the centre really wants to nurture and foster a new kind of wisdom which requires people to be uh, in dialogue with each other rather than debate and discussion. The the critical thing is to be... I I, I use the phrase a sympathetic imagination. We need to be able to think with the other, whoever that person or that institution is, and think from them back to us as much as thinking uh, from ourselves to, to other places. So the centres uh, wishes to host a whole ranges of conversations, seminars, consultations, um, events that bring together uh, the traditions of this, this wonderful country, uh, the rich, richness of it. So the, the, wisdom, the wisdom is for the common good. And uh, in, a, in an age right now which we're driven by self-interest, there's no doubt about it, and it permeates right from the top right down into all sectors of society. Self-interest seems to drive, drive our, our, our world. Uh, the common good is a different kind of thing altogether. It is what makes for the flourishing of society. And the centre is really devoted to uh, developing conversations across divides and people who see things very differently um, so that uh, the, the purpose is to generate this new dialogue. So the wisdom wisdom comes not from one particular person, one particular tradition. Um, the, the Christian uh, gospel has a contribution to make within the, the multifaceted and rich wisdom of this world. We think Australia at this point in time needs to hear from those wisdom traditions and bring them together. Then you discover new things. So I think that's the driver for it and a sympathetic imagination, which we desperately need. Um, and, and after that, um, we develop those through the, the other pillars. And uh, the one that I suspect we, we, we have put so much energy into in the last couple of years is what I call peace through new religious engagements. So we've got a major Christian-Muslim uh, uh, dialogue, national dialogue that we've begun and uh, um, it's, it's really been a driver for us last year, and uh, it'll go on this year. We've got a, a major um, Islamic scholar coming from uh, Edinburgh, who's from Pakistan, uh, Mona Siddiqui, who will be here in October in Sydney and, and Canberra. But the thing is, um, the, instead of the religious traditions being places which generate violence, which is the popular myth, uh, in fact, uh, through new religious engagements, we discover a way of peace, because at the heart of religious traditions, for example... 
there is there is a peace a peaceful core which needs to be mined and uh, allowed to speak again. So that's a major pillar for us on the interfaith work. Well, let's just pick up on that for the moment, because the way religion has often been deployed, particularly over the last few months, and possibly uh, with the prospect of a, a debate over gay marriage uh, and the way that will be played out, religion becomes deployed as a source of division. That is, we in this religious tradition stand in opposition to you in that secular world and we are going to make that a tough and sustained opposition and there are widespread fears that these sorts of debates are divisive at base. They cannot be conducted civilly because you're talking about fundamental worldviews. Yeah. Um, uh, the answer to that, I think, is to that is yes and no. <laughs> yeah, there there are so many fundamental differences, aren't there? And uh, look, even within the Christian uh, churches, you'll find very strong differences on on the question, say, of human sexuality. Uh, and and you know, most most churches and their own patches, so to speak, uh, are locked in this. But there there is also uh, rich, rich veins of wisdom about how you deal with difference, and how you deal with conflict. Does conflict have to generate division, or can conflict be harnessed? The uh, the centre wants to uh, to harness the conflicts which are sort of not far below the surface in many of these things. Why? Because these things are passionately held by people because they have to do with their lives. And we don't sit lightly to some of these things. But how do you harness these conflicts so that the common good is served rather than party, um, you know, party political or, or sectional interests? How, the, how the, uh, the churches and other religious traditions are going to negotiate that um, is, is still something which uh, needs an awful lot of work. I think that's why I would come back to my you know, sympathetic imagination. We really have to, even in the churches, let alone in our engagements with uh, um, other other parts of society in the civil society, we we actually have to learn to listen um, and be attentive to things, rather than come riding in with our own own views too quickly formed without having listened enough. It's something we alluded to in uh, the discussion we've had in our previous hour. That the, the, the trick, in some ways, of of parliamentary democracy in the Western system is it recognises the positive dimension of conflict and seeks to contain that within a vessel that allows that to be used positively. Well, I think I think that's that's the uh, the great strength and the wisdom of, of the democratic tradition. But when when it when people feel as though uh, they're not being listened to that the conflicts are being misused, then then democracy itself suffers, and that that affects the common good. So, uh, I mean, I know you're having a earlier discussion on Islam and democracy. Uh, I mean, this is uh, such a critical and creative, potentially creative edge for this country, which is incredibly pluralistic and uh, is really well poised in our in, in the West, to, to give a lead on how these things may be um, transacted, negotiated with a, a new emerging kind of democracy which, uh, which really knows how to bless uh, pluralism a little bit more uh, healthily. 
Now, I noticed the, uh, the next one of your, your pillars, we've mentioned two, wisdom through civil society, peace through religious engagement, resilience in institutional life and ethical leadership. Resilience seems to be one of those things which we're, we're losing a grip on in that institutions, uh, be they religious or secular, have come under great stress over recent years, uh, from education to religion to parliamentary democracy. Institutions lack trust. People just say, no, sorry, institutions have looked after themselves, not us. Yeah, it, it's a problem. I mean, personally, I'm an institutional animal. I can't imagine how human beings actually exist outside of them, which makes them even more problematic for us because they they generate so many of our angers and, and disaffections. Um, I think the, the, the key thing there is uh, with resilience. If you... I mean, I've... My, uh, my mother-in-law is 97. If I've had conversations with her and members of our family. They said, look, in the 1920s and 30s, I mean, what was the most important thing you wanted for your children and your family and society? And they would have said, well, it wasn't, we hope you're going to be happy. They'd say, are you going to be, we're well, going to have the intestinal fortitude and you're going to have the resilience to, to make it. It was, it was a very tough world. These days, the, the happiness issue is, is, is the first thing you want your children to be happy, you want institutions to be happy, we want everything to be happy. But interestingly, in the last 10, 15 years, the, the language of resilience has started to re-emerge in education, particularly, and and I think it'll it'll creep into other places yes, too. Yes, even in the world of economics, the, the whole goal yeah. of, of happiness as an economic end is beginning yeah. to be questioned. Yeah, that's right. I think I think there's a, a recovery of that a deeper, and I think it's a deeper virtue of the, the resilient character, the resilient institution. But the question is what makes things resilient it doesn't it means you have to be able to deal with the the brittleness that uh, we we suffer from right now and the fragmentation so a resilient uh, institution is one that does know how to harness uh, conflict it has knows how to live through transitions it and it also requires uh, what i call a, a transitional kind of leadership um, we talk about transactional leadership which we don't really want to have much to do with it these days. It's just putting things in the right places and keeping them there. Or the, the language over the last decade or so has been transformational leadership, which we all extol and think is great. But in fact, in difficult times and uncertain times, when the transitions are so significant we don't even realise uh, what is happening to us, we need leaders that know how to take us through transitions. And those kind of leaders will be ones that know about resilience. They, they will know about the great virtues tradition, uh, it's been it's been crafted in the religious traditions. Christianity has a very powerful uh, virtues tradition, which has been such a, a major contributor to the Western democratic um, way of life. So the resilience thing is uh, is is a it's it's the tip of an iceberg, and underneath it is what's important: the in the question of ethics and values, and uh, a compassionate uh, compassionate way of dealing with each other, which. Uh, uh, that's uh, from the actual program really that's been done on ABC TV on meditation. Graeme Phillips, society. who's just been Which with us. Which leads us really to uh, the final one of your pillars, creativity through the arts, sciences and culture. Because for many people, they are the very things, that is wisdom at depth, which has been sacrificed over the last 30 years, and and not by design, it's more by accident. That is the plethora of things that, that new technologies have opened up, force people to address things that are on the surface constantly. You can't get past the surface because there's no time to go deep anymore. <laughs> That's <laughs> absolutely right. Um, it's very interesting about this, uh, the, the pillar we've, we've constructed about art, science and culture. 
Um, there's something about the arts in the broader sense which allows conversation to open up rather than close down, which we need. There's something about the arts that, uh, that uh, call people to deeper issues to do with the life uh, that we live together, as you say, beyond the surface. Um, and so we, we're really quite committed to that. We, we think the search for meaning and the spiritual hungers of our time uh, are not abated. They've been just relocated. They've been, con- they've been overtaken with a, a consumerist, uh, materialist sort of culture. Well, they've been consigned the to do- the margins. Well, yeah. I mean, in, in government yeah. policy, they're consigned to the margins. Well, I mean, if you have a look at the whole absolutely. culture of managerialism, I mean, mm. managerialism puts the manager ahead of the... Uh, the the way you handle the thing is ahead of the knowledge itself or of the wisdom itself. Um, absolutely, um, and it also prejudges what the prevailing wisdom is. I mean, there's no there's no space for an open, porous kind of world in which new things can emerge. Um, the the arts actually provide that space, and uh, we had um, a wonderful uh, inaugural art exhibition at the centre um, in February this year in March during Lent. It was quite intentional then. Um, uh, it was called uh, Home Between Here and There. It was uh, displaying um, 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 artwork from uh, men, uh, artists from Iran and Iraq on community detention in Australia, asylum seekers. Uh, we had the most amazing responses to their artwork, and uh, their artwork was quite uh, disturbing at times, uh, longing, um, artwork which talked about the desire for a home and to find a new home, and and the the now but the not yet. This art exhibition was uh, attended by hundreds of people, and um, we had wonderful community support, but it opened up the religious questions about, well, what are the values for this country, and what is the issue about compassion that we're missing here? Um, This this artwork, uh, I suggested at the time, was so important because it it provides a medium through which we can begin conversation to reset our moral compass in this country. Which leads us uh, quite usefully to one of the interesting initiatives you've just taken. That is, you've, you've had a, um, a religious short film prize to which the, uh, the winner has just been announced. It's a, a short film prize, eight minutes. Uh, we had entries from all over Australia. This was our first effort in this, and it's going to be the beginning of uh, many years in this. Um, a wonderful uh, 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 film, The Forgotten Tree, uh, uh, exploring the relationship between Christianity, Islam, and uh, uh, Judaism, um, set in a in a, 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 dis, a disbanded church, um, is a young, a very young uh, Muslim girl and a slightly uh, a teenage uh, a Jewish uh, young young girl. And they have a conversation within the context of this disused uh, Christian church. And there's, a, there's, there's obviously conflict going on outside the, the church, and you're aware of it in the film. And it wonderfully negotiates some of the intricacies and the complexities of what it means to be a human being, uh, exploring, uh, coming out of your own religious traditions at this time and place. So we're delighted about it, and uh, we, we're going to have a, an, uh, a wonderful event in August to, uh, to award this and showcase something about our commitment to the arts. Um, in, uh, we'll do that at the centre. But we, it's, it's been a very exciting project, and it, it 
testifies again to this whole question about creativity and the, the way in which the arts can open up questions which have been marginalised, as you mentioned, or, or, or just shunted away um, or repressed within a highly consumerist, self-indulgent culture, the, the arts break it open again. And uh, that's part of the transitional times we're in. We're, we're not yet sure how it's all going to turn out. And we have to find a new prophetic kind of Christianity which really engages with the cultures that we're a part of rather than occupying our own somewhat hermetically sealed worlds, which increasingly the churches have um, got become... Uh, locked in because of some of the other difficulties and challenges they've had. There's very little energy left for the kind of re-engagements that we, tr- the church has traditionally, as we mentioned right at the beginning of this uh, conversation, had been involved in. So the centre is uniquely placed to be able to do that. We 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 st- we're kind of positioned in the middle between the churches, the academy, and the public space. Um, so we're at a, at a very creative space, and we're trying to use that as well as we can. Oh, there's a myriad more conversations that could hang off that. Stephen Pickard, we've run out of time, but thanks so much for joining us this evening. The Right Reverend Professor Stephen Pickard, Executive Director of the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture. And thanks, if, John. It's been a pleasure. And if you're looking, uh, Stephen, for the Centre for Christianity and Culture, of course it, it occupies what was to be Australia's sacred site at the time of Federation, or at the time of the uh, the foundation of Canberra, rather. It, it, indeed it was. It was set aside as land for a national Anglican cathedral, but in the in the wisdom of time and space and uh, lack of funding, um, a greater vision emerged of a genuinely ecumenical church, which was genuinely wanting to be engaged with the public space. In very much uh, the, the, the Bishop Bergman tradition of Canberra and Goulburn, I think he would be absolutely delighted with what emerged there. And it is a sacred space. Yesterday, for instance, I welcomed 300 young primary school children from a local school to spend an hour walking over, like ants over the site to see the mural wall and the indigenous wall and the Bible garden and um, the, the labyrinth and the pilgrim walk and the chapel. So it's, it is a sacred space and people come onto that space. But I, maybe just uh, one last comment about that, uh, John. If people go just Google the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture, they can find the, the wonderful website we have. And if they want to find out about what's happening, they just uh, press, uh, put their, their details, their name and email address and submit, and uh, they'll be on the system. Stephen Pickard, thanks once again for joining us on Sunday night. Thanks very much, John. This has been a podcast of Sunday nights on ABC Local Radio. Thank you for listening.